0: You can find our scripture reading this evening on page 1072 in the church Bibles. That's John's Gospel, chapter 7, and beginning at verse 37. Page 1072, John chapter 7, and beginning at verse 37. Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be
1: to God. God. Well, David, thank you for, for praying for me. Um, I just want to pray once more, Lord I just pray that um, the words you would have me speak tonight would be remembered and bear fruit in people's hearts. But Lord anything that is of me and not of you I pray would just be swept away like leaves in a wind. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well if you are a visitor to St. Andrew's Church. You've chosen a good night to come, Not, nothing to do with me, but it's we're taking a break from the series in Revelation with all its sometimes frightening and confusing imagery. And tonight we're going to take some time out to bask in the Holy Spirit in this wonderful, wonderful passage. I wonder what Pentecost brings to mind. Perhaps you might think, oh my goodness, flag-waving day for happy, clappy Christians, all be wearing their sandals and guitars with sort of uh, rainbow straps. Or could it be that it was – Phil, it hasn't got a rainbow strap, it's red, you're okay (laughs) – or is it the day that the promise that Jesus made to his followers, that they would be clothed with power from on high, was fulfilled? The moment when tongues of fire, a beautiful visible symbol, I think we got some here as well. Yeah. Tongues of fire, a beautiful visible symbol of the burning energy of the Holy Spirit, descended on the gathered as a precursor to being poured out over you and me. Well, for me, I have two reactions. First, it is a day when I thank God that those promises all came true. When Jesus left us, he didn't leave us as orphans. He did what he promised, he left us a spirit of truth, a counsellor, a helper, a teacher, a giver of life. But my second reaction comes to you really almost as a confession, because it is one of frustration. I've prayed so many times that the Holy Spirit would invade the Church of England. And this church too, that it would manifest its presence amongst us here, would set us all on fire spiritually would renew us and empower us, would bring healing and other signs and wonders, not for fun so we can bask in the glory of God, but so that we might all be released more powerfully into our calling as followers of Jesus. What I yearn for is the outpouring of the Spirit, which leads, in a matter of hours, as we hear in Acts, to 3,000 people coming to faith. Even as Andrew wrote in last Sunday's run, Uh, drama in a sermon preached by St. Peter which didn't even mention the cross. Now I do want to make one thing clear. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't here. I know he is because I've sensed him here many many times very powerfully. No, this church is alive and it's active and it couldn't be so without the blessing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I suppose that what I'm saying though is that our level of expectation could be a bit higher. We could raise our game when we pray. Do we really expect things to happen? Do we wait prayerfully expectantly on the Lord waiting for things to happen? Do we practice what the disciples who waited patiently and expectantly in Jerusalem modeled for us on that day of Pentecost? I suspect that we fall short in our expectations. I know I do. What I'm getting at is that I think there is more, so much more power available from on high, that I just don't think we're taking advantage of it. Here is a glass of water. I wonder how many people here have experienced real thirst. I mean the sort of thirst that drives all thoughts from your mind, all other thoughts from your mind. Those of you who were at Love Oxford this morning may have experienced something like that, two hours standing there. Who, which of the saints here were, were also at Love Oxford this morning? Fantastic, fantastic, well done, good effort. It was great, wasn't it? I asked Phil to play that, uh, that song, Oh Happy Days. There's a little bit more dancing in the Broad Street this morning, but you are, you are forgiven for that because the service hasn't started. But um, I spent a couple of months living in the desert and I learned that as well as always checking your boots before you put them on, making sure there were no um, scorpions in them, it was the state of your water supply that was more important than absolutely anything else. It didn't matter whether you're how clean your rifle was or your state of ammunition or where the food was. It was how much water did you have. And my aim tonight is to make you all really thirsty. In fact, I want to make you utterly parched, so parched that you are focused on one thing only, and that is having your thirst quenched by Jesus. And to help me do this, I'm going to show you a film clip Those of you who are of a certain age will know this film. The younger members here won't have ever seen it. It's called Ice Cold in Alex, and it comes at the end, and I hope it's gonna make you feel really thirsty. Just look at the way he looks longingly at the glass of beer, Matt. I'm actually feeling quite thirsty now. So it worked, it was worth showing. It was worth one minute, 15 seconds. John 7:38. Look at it in your Bibles. This is really what I'm preaching on. It's one of the greatest and most desirable promises Jesus ever made. Listen to it again. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Where the film clip falls down is what the drink produces. We all know know what the effects of a few pints of beer are. But if we drink of Jesus, what comes out of us is not a reciprocal drink, a sort of equal transaction, as one finds with beer, but streams. Not just one stream, but streams, plural. In the King James Version, it's translated as rivers. This sounds absolutely wonderful, and of course it is. But lest you be swept away with this lovely sort of imagery, peaceful imagery, there is a challenge in here too. Isn't it true that at regular intervals, we should scrutinize and examine our lives in the hope of discovering some evidence that God is using us and blessing us to bless others? If you're a follower of Jesus, are streams of this living water flowing out from you? And if not why not and if you're not yet a believer or perhaps you're just here with a friend investigating Christianity the challenge to you is does this sound good you may be morally upright great person law-abiding person but is there more to life do you like the sound of having living streams flowing out from you and Jesus promises this to any one of us. He uses the words, whoever and anyone. It's for all of us. That all of us can become blessings to others. Isn't that what we're supposed to be as Christians? Do you know, some Christians can fall into the trap of burying their heads in the sand and just, look, I believe in Christ, I'm saved, I'm just going to get on with my job, I'll die, I'm going to heaven and hopefully Christ will come back quickly because actually life is quite tough looking forward to Christ returning to wind up history sort all the mess out but you know I think there's a fatal flaw in that theology Jesus's desire for his followers is that they live in such a way that they bring heaven to earth it also misses the point that we're not supposed to worry so much about hell after this life but about the hell here and now, the hell that Tom has been telling us about, the hell that is going on in Burma as I speak. For Jesus, the new life in him is not about escaping this world, but about making it a better place here and now. The goal for Jesus isn't to get into heaven, the goal is to get heaven here. And how else better to do all these things than by blessing others, by being these streams of living water. And what interests me is that these blessings are to pour out of us, not trickle, not come out one by one, they are to pour out of us. And this implies that there is no limit And if there is no limit, then, of course, these blessings must be spiritual blessings. They can't be material blessings. And John, of course, helps us to understand in verse 39. He explains, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. No, unlike natural gifts, there is no limit to these spiritual blessings. We can have them flowing from us. And, of course, the Spirit has now been poured out because Jesus has died. He has been resurrected, and he has ascended to heaven and is now glorified at the right hand of his Father. And so these spiritual gifts, like healing, wisdom, prophecy, and so on and so forth, are for us to bless others with. They are to build up the church. In other words, they're for mission. Well, how? Do you remember, um, after Exodus, in the the book of Numbers, early on in the Bible, the children of Israel were dying of thirst in the desert. They were moaning and chuntering and complaining, wishing they were back under the slave driver's whip, feeling perhaps rather like those characters in the film were a few days before that bit. God said to Moses, speak to the rock and water will gush out. St. Paul tells us that Christ is the true rock. All we have to do is to speak to Jesus with faith. Of course, Moses was disobedient. He was angry. He struck the rock and in doing so spoilt the lesson that God was trying to teach his people and consequently to remind him of the importance of careful obedience, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. But do you know, we don't need to bring pressure upon Christ. We don't need to force him as if he were reluctant to give us his spirit. After all, the whole purpose of his coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection, his ascension, was that we might all be filled with his spirit. We cannot be Christians unless we have the spirit within us. But do you know, I think the sad truth is that we can be limping, half-hearted, struggling, wheezing, weak-willed, dare I say, pathetic Christians if we are not daily asking for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you've been challenged by what I've said, then I am pleased, because this is what happens when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if any of you read Ruth Gledhill's article in The Times on Thursday. She wrote this, Church attendance in Britain is declining so fast that the number of regular churchgoers will be fewer than those attending mosques within a generation. The fall from the four million people who attend church at least once a month today means that the Church of England, Catholicism and other denominations will become financially unviable. Only in the large evangelical churches of the Baptist and independent denominations is there resistance to the trend. But many of these churches also show some decline. Well, please, if anyone knows Ruth Gledhill, will you ask her to do her research more carefully? Perhaps invite her to come to Oxford to look at St. Andrews, St. Ebbs and St. Aldates, where our problem is not declining numbers, but we don't have enough space in here. But seriously, though, she does have a point in the general sense, doesn't she? Religiosity, I like to call it churchianity, is in decline. Hallelujah. But where is the growth? Let me read you this abridged extract from Global Pentecostalism, the new face of Christian social engagement. Donald Miller writes that the demographics of Christendom are being turned upside down. The major engine driving this transformation is Pentecostalism, an expression of Christianity that dates back to the first century when the Holy Spirit is reported to have visited a small band of Jesus followers who spoke in other tongues and subsequently healed the sick, prophesied, and established a network of churches throughout Asia Minor. David Martin, a British sociologist who has written extensively on the topic, states that, in his view, what is occurring on the ground simply does not correspond to armchair predictions of the end of religion. Indeed, the growth in Pentecostalism raises significant questions about the so-called secularization hypothesis. So, it's the spirit-filled churches that are growing exponentially. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us, of course. We may not like the style. I suspect some people here were put off coming to Love Oxford because they knew that the style was going to be very sort of happy clappy. But you know what, it's okay not liking the style, but we must like, indeed we must yearn for the substance behind that growth and join in together saying, come Holy Spirit. And so if we're thirsty And come to Jesus and are filled with His Spirit, how might these streams of living water, the Holy Spirit, pour out of us as blessings? Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit streams out of us in joy and praise. And I'm going to share with you uh, one short and one long testimony here. The first is from Richard Wurmbrandt, who is a convert from Judaism and a pastor to Romanians during the war and to invading Russian soldiers after the war. Uh, he was imprisoned and tortured. Whilst in prison, he went through horrific uh, trials and tortures at the hand of the secret police. In his book, Tortured for Christ, he writes this. Alone in my cell, cold, hungry and in rags, I danced for joy every night. Sometimes I was so filled with joy that I felt I would burst if I did not give expression to it. Many experience joy through the Holy Spirit. This was a man that took his shirt off in front of a U.S. congressional inquiry into uh, the persecution of the church to show the scars on his torso from the torture. Sometimes the Holy Spirit streams out of us in healing in many cases, affected by a word of God. This is why our prayer ministry team meets before every service to wait on the Lord to pray, just in case the Lord has a word for somebody here who he wants to be specifically healed. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to read you an extract from a book by Peter Lawrence. It's called The Spirit Who Heals. it is a long extract. Uh, I've cut as much out of it as I can. But I think it really highlights um, the way a word of God can facilitate a healing. and It's a lovely story. And I know you won't mind the length of this. In the autumn of 1988, after 24 hours of traveling, I arrived in the warm heart of Africa one Saturday night. I was extremely tired. But as I lay down to sleep, a God thought began to swirl around in my head. In the Blantyre congregation tomorrow, there will be a teenage boy who can't see very well. As I prayed into it, God seemed to say he wants to go to university, but is hampered in his studies. I want to heal him. I arrived at the church at 7.30 a.m. feeling lonely as well as tired. I'm all on my own. I moaned to God. I met the Anglican vicar, Father Zimbe, who helped me into all kinds of colorful, heavy robes in preparation for the 8 o'clock mass. And as he did so, I mentioned my conversation with God. Last night, I began, I thought I heard God say he wanted to do some healing this morning. No, 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 responded Father Zimbe instantaneously. We don't do healing. It's the Mass. We do the Mass. I finished robing, complimented those present on the beautiful vestments they had provided for me, and tried again. I really did believe God was telling me he wanted to do healing. I said as kindly as I could. No, no, he replied. You can speak for 10 minutes with an interpreter, and then we'll get on with the Mass. So I can't do any healing, I asked for the last time. No, we do the Mass, Father Zimbe concluded. But you can speak on healing. Ah, oh, so much for the prayers back home, I thought. At 10 to 8, The telephone rang in the vestry, and Father Zimbe carried on a conversation in Chichewa for a few minutes, during which he occasionally mentioned my name. That was the bishop, he announced as he put the receiver down. He said Peter Lawrence is to be allowed to do whatever he wants to do. Healing, I proclaimed. (laughs) No more than ten minutes, concluded Father Zimbe. We then processed with a group of people dressed as angels into the large, impressive, packed church. At the end of my talk, I gave the word I thought God had given me. I believe God may be saying there is a teenage boy here who wants to go to university, but he is hampered in his studies because he can't see very well. I think God wants to heal him. Without waiting for the translation, an elderly man in his 70s leapt to his feet at the very back of church with his hand in the air and declared loudly in English, That's me, that's me. Before I could respond, Father Zimby rose up at the other end of church and shouted back in perfect English, No, it's not you, you silly old fool, sit down. (laughs) The old man, however, was not going to be distracted that easily and kept walking towards me as he responded, But I can't see very well, I need to be healed. At this, the vicar came out from behind all the candles and marched menacingly towards the man, uh, who couldn't see very well, like the sheriff facing a gunslinger at high noon. That may be so, he said in a firm voice, but you're not going to university, I know that. (laughs) Undeterred, the elderly man kept coming towards me and without deviation, Father Zimbe made his way towards the portable lectern where I was standing and there they met eyeball to eyeball in front of my nose. And at that point, I believe God gave me a word of wisdom and I said, it's all right, Father Zimbe. We'll have a quick prayer for him and then we'll get on with the Mass. Ah, yes, the Mass, he said. Nothing happened to the elderly man when I prayed for him, and as I moved to join the angelic host, my mind was full of non-angelic thoughts. All this way, tried to be obedient to God, taking a risk for Jesus, but nothing happens. And now I have to sit here in all this hot, heavy clobber as the temperature rises beyond sweating point in a capacity crowd. At least the incense kept the mosquitoes at bay. Afterwards, having divested, but still wishing the ground would swallow me up, I was making my way across the car park to the hall for a coffee when I found myself surrounded by a group of excited teenage boys. This is the boy, they said virtually in unison. This is MacDonald." Well, you're too late, was my first thought, and push off was the second. But fortunately, neither of these crossed my lips. I certainly wasn't feeling very holy or full of faith at the time. Why didn't he claim the word in church? I asked as politely as I could. In this country, we respect our elders, their spokesman began, and after the old man had jumped up so speedily, it was not possible for MacDonald to claim it. This was blatantly true, as the old man had been very quick off the mark. So somewhat pacified, I turned my attention to the patient. MacDonald, aged 16, was virtually blind and had to be led everywhere. In truth, he could see less than a meter, but he seemed a very nice lad who believed in Jesus. I put my hand on his head, asked God the Father, through Jesus, to send his Holy Spirit, and then waited, but not for long. MacDonald's face became agitated and distorted almost at once, while tension rose up from his stomach and went through his chest to his face, where a foul-sounding language came flooding out of his mouth. Is this Chichua? I asked the bystanders, but they assured me they didn't recognize it. They'd never heard the language before. Consequently, I knew what to do. Demon of Satan, I said firmly, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. At the name of Jesus, there was an immediate response from McDonald, who doubled up in discomfort, while a visible tension rose once more from his stomach. But this time it went out through his mouth as he coughed and spluttered for a few moments. McDonald then opened his eyes and, to the amazement of everyone around, especially his friends, described detail that he could see on the furthest horizon. He was completely healed. As God said he would be in the car park and it took about two and a half minutes I shall never forget this moment as long as I live once he was blind now he could see and I was there to witness it I meet many doubters including clergy who do not think God performs signs and wonders today and certainly do not believe in the existence of demons Sometimes they express their doubts, unbelief, and cynicism to me and try to unload their own non-biblical theories on me. But all I can say to them is, I was there. Once he was blind, now he could see. I spent a week with Father Zimbi and 30 other clergy from Malawi immediately after this. When I told this story as a part of a talk, he laughed and laughed until tears streamed down his face. Then he stood up to give his testimony. It's true, he said, every word just as Peter has told you. And if you think that involves someone you don't know is too wacky, and you can't believe it, go to the website and click on Jill Ireland's prayer letter. Do please read it. It is quite incredible. And as Andrew loves her dearly, I'm sure um, her theology is absolutely well lined up. Andrew loves people whose theology isn't all lined up. That that didn't come out the way it was supposed to come out. (laughs) Andrew is sitting up on the balcony, holding his head in his hands in despair at his curate. You know what I mean. Andrew loves Jill, and I'm sure we can trust Jill to report back accurately. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, seeing someone healed like that, it helps evangelism, doesn't it? It's hard when you witness something like that or you hear a testimony like that. It's hard if you're exploring faith or religion, perhaps Christianity, not to be intrigued by what's going on. And it isn't a coincidence that the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith. It's what the Holy Spirit is for it's for mission, it's for saving people. There are, of course, many other gifts of the Spirit and many other graces of the Spirit, all part of the life giving water that might pour from our innermost being. But what must we do? We have to be thirsty. Remember the film clip as he's looking at the drips of condensation coming down and creating little rivulets with his finger. He's thirsty. He wants that beer. We need to want Jesus. We need to want the Holy Spirit in our lives with a passion. We want to passionately desire to serve God and be used by him. Not for some amazing experience swimming from the chandeliers. We must remember the Holy Spirit is holy. We approach him with awe and deep reverence. It's not for fun and games, but it's to get God's work done in the world. Then ask yourself, are there any blockages like unforgiveness or unrenounced occult involvement? If there are, you need to repent of them. Come up at the end. Pray with one of the prayer ministry team. We can sort that out. We can nail it. And then come to Christ in prayer. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Ask, and it will be given to you. Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow out from within them. Go on believing them. Then the astonishing promise in all its generosity not just a cup of water, not just an urn but streams of living water in every direction this way, that way, up, down, sideways, whatever. Is that what you want? If it isn't then I think you have to ask yourself if you really do want to follow Jesus. But you know sometimes we are made to look foolish. We pray for people and they die. But remember, Paul wrote this, Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone thinks he's wise by the standards of his age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. Let's be fools for Christ. Let's not be fearful for what people might say. Let's dare to believe. Let's dare to expect that the Holy Spirit will come, will be poured out, and will empower us with power from on high to go out there and do the job of disciples of Jesus. Do those things that without the Holy Spirit would be impossible. In a moment, um, I'm going to invite anyone who'd like to be filled again with the Holy Spirit to stand up so we can pray for you for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit into your lives so that streams of living water might pour out of you. Now, if you don't want to stand, that's absolutely fine, but I would ask you just perhaps to stretch out your hand towards someone who is standing and pray for them. If you're a visitor and this is all way out of your comfort zones, it's absolutely fine. You can stand, sit, you can dance. It really doesn't matter at all. But I just want to make sure that you feel completely happy staying sitting where you are. Whether you're standing or sitting, of course, doesn't make any difference at all. The Holy Spirit will come down on you, whatever you're doing, if you're doing cartwheels up and down the aisles. No, don't do it. it. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and are bemused by all of this, then do come up and talk to somebody at the end, and perhaps you might like to be prayed for, or just sit there and ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Uh, I think the prayer ministry team have had some words and pictures, and David will feed those in, I think, at at the end. So those who want to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, why don't you stand now, Phil's gonna play quietly, and I'm just gonna say a a simple prayer, and then we'll get on in our response. So if, if you'd like to be filled, refilled with the Holy Spirit, you can stand now. So, if you're sitting, just pray for um, somebody who is standing. Holy Spirit, source of all truth, giver of power. Come upon us now as gently as a dove or like tongues of living fire, as quietly as a summer breeze or as as a mighty roaring wind. Come and dwell within us. Enable us now to do those things that before were impossible. Unworthy as we are, Holy Spirit of the living God, give us those gifts which we can use To your honor and glory, that we may show forth your fruit even in our lives. Come and refresh us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and fall on this place. Come and fall on everybody here. Not just for the fun of it, but to empower us, to clothe us with the same power from on high that enabled the disciples to go out and lead 3,000 people to faith on the day of Pentecost. It could be you're tired. It could be you're disillusioned. It could be um, you're at a crossroads at work, just looking at what's going to come next. It could be you're just struggling with your faith. Just come now before the living Christ and just ask, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Phil's going to uh, lead us gently into some song praise now. And the words of this next song um, can just continue the prayer.